welcome adventurers, this is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Emmy, And I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And with us once again, we have Risrael Klinbarvin, also known as Russ, from the Gilgamesh server. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Now, you may remember Russ from a couple of episodes ago in our Character Creation 101 episode, where we helped him as a roleplay curious player that didn't have much experience kind of get started in character development and what to do next to make his first steps in the RP community. And the path he chose was actually to participate in-game on the Gilgamesh server. Yeah, and now I have been to a couple of events on the Gilgamesh server, so I am slightly more experienced. Now you are a presence. <laughs> yes, a tiny presence, but still a presence. Yeah. Well, I was there the first time, which was a couple months ago now, but that was actually my character Natsuki's event. It was an end of summer soiree at his house on the Mist beachfront. Yeah, it was a, a really killer beach party. So what has happened since then? You've gone to some other events, right? Yeah. So in addition to the beach party, uh, I have been attending the bar nights on Saturday nights over in Mist, put on by a smaller RP guild. And I've just been uh, checking that out as more of a smaller scale event. Which is just a nice way to kick back on a weekend and just have some casual conversation. I agree, I agree. Yeah, I try to go most Saturday nights unless I got something else to do or if I'm just really, really tired. But for a server that doesn't have a whole lot of big RP events, that might be kind of the mainstay. You know, because at least it happens every week, it's consistent, and it keeps the community together and active and at least in touch. Yeah, it's true. Even though it's not really a grandiose event compared to some of the other events I've seen on different servers, uh, it's at least a reliable thing that you can just sort of pop into. And it's not really like a, a high pressure thing. You can just sort of, you know, drop in whenever you want, stay for a little bit, have a couple chats, uh, and then go about your, your evening. Yeah, just like popping into your local neighborhood bar in real life. If that's your thing. It's true. <laughs> I imagine there were probably some regulars every week that were there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciated the fact that there was a very stalwart Hellsguard bartender, if I recall correctly, who was very much obsessed with the brews. Was that Lutz? Uh, I think it was Lutz. He's a seawolf. I believe it was. <laughs> Is he a seawolf? Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's, my memory. He's Lutz the Lala thrower. <laughs> yeah. That would explain why I didn't see any Lollafell in that bar. <laughs> um, wow, that's embarrassing. <laughs> well, you missed you missed the part of uh, Natsuki's event where the group was skipping rocks, and then Scoot asked Loot to skip him, and then Loot skipped him with like a nine ninety nine. Oh my goodness! On the dice roll. <laughs> yeah. So wow. next time you see him, let him know about that. Yes, I'll have to drop by and uh, remind him of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are definitely folks that you see more often than others. And there's also just a small group of people that are dedicated to bartending. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to see people sort of take the stoic role as sort of, I kind of see it as like a background character almost. I think when I jumped into this for the first time, I was kind of expecting a lot of 
like grandiose storytelling, like a lot of people at the center of their own stories trying to tell those stories to other people. And what I found was instead that it's just a lot more relaxed and a bit more casual. Like you might have a few people having a bit more animated conversations, but you also have, you know, that one person who's just content to do that sort of bartending role. Uh, He had a couple animated assistants alongside him who were uh, a bit more colorful in their interactions. Uh, But he was like, you know, a bit more subdued, very calm, very obsessed with getting a delicious brew going. (laughs) Yeah. Is that perhaps different than one you experienced on other servers than Gilgamesh? If anything, I think the RP events I've seen advertised on other servers are a lot more interesting than just come to a bar and hang out and sort of wind down. Like, that's not really what I expected when I, I thought of RP within in the game. Mm-hmm. Were they, like, maybe more one-off events? So I know on Lich, for example, we're having a murder mystery night, but that's not something that we really regularly have except maybe once a year, if that's that's a tradition sort of thing. Yeah, on Lich, it's kind of like we do big parties for, like, big holidays, the balls, the Crystal Crown Cafe. As yet, there isn't so much of a regular bar night you don't see as many grandiose hosted events on gilgamesh you have a couple like regular showings like the fight night or the bar night different events compared to other servers that's very very true now when we think about what is still the big hub of rp the Balmung server you see some bar nights definitely a couple of fight nights that are regular but also events that are a lot more specialized like we're having an all saints wake pub crawl or we're having a patriotic event in Limsa Liminsa. They tend to be very thematic and maybe less open-ended, so that when people come, they know kind of exactly what they're in for. That can give people a starting point from which to base their conversations where it's actually maybe easier to get started. Oh, there's the Sultana's Cup. There is the Sultana's Cup. Sultana's Cup. I've never been there. I am too afraid to go in there because I've started compiling a folder, honestly, of every time that Nanamo comes to an event and somebody reacts to her, (laughs) just without her even saying much of anything, without her talking directly to them, somebody's going to say something. And as a result, I refuse to go to the Sultana's Cup. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you're a celebrity or something. But if you ask in advance... But even so, I don't want to go to a place where my character, even if it's not a reference to Anonimo, even if it's just the Sultanate in general, where my character is related to the namesake. I just, I don't think it's right for some reason. Here's another interesting one. Chrysanthemum Festival, which is going to be based in Gridania, but it seems like it's actually inspired by uh, Japanese events around the Chrysanthemum, which is like the opposite of the cherry blossom. It's like the fall flower. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's my jam. Yeah. Like, I would definitely go for just for that. And that seems more like a one-time event thing. Yeah. Seeing as it is a festival. I guess what I've seen then, at least from your experience and then our experiences on, like, Lich and Diablos and things like that, are that the roleplay climates tend to change. And where I thought that maybe smaller servers tend to have more general events, what I've seen on Lich is more of a polarization towards specialized events where there are few and far between but they tend to be big because they're the only ones there. And then you have Gilgamesh, where you don't have quite as many one-time events, but you have a lot of these more regular events. 
Yeah. And so I guess it depends on the server. I will redact what I said in whatever episode it was where we were talking about the different climates of all the servers. Baomeng seems to have more of a mix, though, of regular and specialized events. Yeah. They're just more diversity because there's more people in more venues organizing more things rather than just kind of the same small handful of people that tend to dominate the smaller communities. It sucks because sometimes if those handful of people kind of get busy with life and they can't dedicate as much time, then there's a void that nobody can fill. Yeah. Whereas if one even regular event on Balmung disappeared, people would just go to something else because chances are that there's five things happening on that night anyway yeah whereas with something like gilgamesh like if the one regular event goes away then suddenly i feel like people are left without really anything to go to the other events that i've seen while looking for events just involves people in this role-playing community just doing normal non-role-playing things like you know dungeon runs or gearing parties or stuff like that so when you become friends with this community, obviously you can do the rest of your game stuff with the same people. Because, hey, who'd have thought you can roleplay one day and raid another day? <laughs> wow, it's what true. a surprise. Whoa. I never knew that. <laughs> Mind blow. Never in my life would I have thought that you could actually do things <laughs> other than 100% roleplay. It's not like I also do like glamour and I do crafting and gathering and reading no way no way emmy yes have you been working at the saltery possibly (laughs) (laughs) i've been spending a lot of time at the saltery recently we'll get to that at a we'll get to that at a later time in this episode (laughs) yes i was there just this past week and i have many things to say about the saltery (laughs) oh boy so that's one aspect of Russ's experience. That on Gilgamesh, it tends to be the regular, habitual, but not overly produced events. Yes, that is very true. And it seems like you're kind of pleased with the fact that it was actually more casual than you thought. Yeah, I think when I jumped into it, I expected, at least just as a result of looking online at some other people's character profiles, that there would be a whole lot of grandiose sort of storytelling generated and that people would have these huge backgrounds created and they'd just be sharing them with other people. And, you know, maybe you'd have one or two weird outliers trying to do some like weird erotic thing in the background. I don't know. (laughs) That's, that's a thing that happens every so often. It's a little weird, but, um, no, I just ended up walking in and it just felt like I was in the case of the beach night. I was just at a large party. Only I was in game and not at a friend's (laughs) house. Uh, yeah. Or like, you know, I was just having a relaxed, casual chat with someone that I randomly met in a bar, and it's just people talking, only you're talking with the context of the game more than, you know, your own personal life of you behind your computer or screen of choice. Yeah, yeah. Now, having been in the Gilgamesh group for a little bit longer, there are times when we do stories, when we get to know people on a deeper level, but they do have to be more coordinated. Ah, yeah. I believe that makes sense. One thing that can actually be really successful is someone almost taking like a DM role and saying, I have an idea for a story we can run that will involve different kinds of people and you can all play kind of flexible roles. It's not that your roles are dictated, but I need you to come along with me on, let's say, a mission. And an example that I'm thinking of is a while back, 
The FC, known as the Phoenix Clinic, they're kind of like a hospital for adventurers. They use magic and medicine and are involved in different charitable things. But the character who's in charge of that basically posted in Discord, okay, on Saturday, I want to run something a little bit more complex where we're going to investigate a ring of kidnappers in Thanalan. So we were given some direction in what we were looking for. And of course, in your conversation, in your habits, that's where you bring out your character's personality. But basically, we were all trying to help. And especially because there were apparently kidnappings of children. Now, to respond to what you were saying about the ERP stereotype, yeah, it does happen. We will never deny that it does happen. But as far as mature content, I see probably about 10 times more mature content that's about violence than about sex. And that's something that people should also be aware of. That maybe they're already on the lookout for trying to steer clear of sexual content, but also be aware of your own tolerances around violence, dark stuff. Because before we started, the person who was kind of writing the scenario, almost kind of like the DM, was like, yeah, you're going to run into like child abuse and bad things happening to children in this storyline. And if that makes you uncomfortable, maybe this isn't for you. And actually, it's interesting because I was thinking, okay, from Natsuki's perspective, he's always, always trying to help people and also really can't say no <laughs> and would jump in basically without hesitation. But when reading that warning, I realized that if I were presented with the situation in real life, that I wouldn't go because me personally, I couldn't handle the dark stuff. I'm like, this is going to be too much for me. And it's interesting to think about those differences sometimes between you and a character. And maybe because it is fictional, I can handle it and I can say, well, my character is known for being the super helpful guy. So how can I say no? But sometimes you run into those rubbing up against your real emotions. Yeah, for sure. There definitely are certain situations where I feel like because you sort of have the bridge between yourself and your in-game avatar, that there are certain types of material which are a little easier to, to tolerate. But, you know, there's always that little nagging bit that can drag you back to reality. And when you think about it in more of a real-life context, you're like, oh... Maybe I maybe I don't really want to deal with this. So I actually appreciate that whoever ran that actually gave that disclaimer because that's, you know, that's an important thing to be aware of where it's like, you know, hey, this might be some super violent content and you may not be okay with it, but we just want to let you know so that, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into. And the same thing would apply not only in the description of like violent things happening, but maybe blood and guts kind of stuff, which tends to come up more in the fight clubs. Do you want to deal with graphic depictions of injuries or do you just want to have a fun boxing match, you know? Yeah. I personally have steered clear of that stuff just because I'm very squeamish about blood. I may never be in a, in a fight club because I'm like, ah, blood. Oh, my God. You, you busted my lip, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think part of it has to do with the writing style of the individual because you may end up going to a fight club and go against one opponent who's like such and such gets a bloody nose and he's knocked out or something like that. And then the next person says, somebody falls to the floor and his arm, like, his bone protrudes from his arm or something like that. Like, just these terrible <laughs> descriptions. Yeah. But it just depends on the writing style. And so when you have those big open events, you have that risk of, yes, you realize you may be going in and there will be graphic violence, but you don't really know how graphic it may end up being. 
just based on the writing styles of the people who you're role-playing with. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a good warning to give to any listeners out there that may be wanting to take their own dive in to their local server's events. You already know that if you don't want to be in contact with sexual content, you know how to avoid that. But be aware of other sorts of things which are considered mature and are not cool with some people and make them uncomfortable. Because I don't think there's as much of an awareness of avoiding things that are overly violent as there are of avoiding things that are overly sexual. Yeah, and I think it's good that you you guys bring that up because uh, I did not actually end up making it to a fight night, but I was considering it at the time. And in the context of what I thought it was, I honestly thought if I went, I would go thinking it's just a fun, chill boxing match. But like you said, we might run into some people who have different styles of writing and maybe just put a little bit more emphasis on gory details and then it's like oh suddenly we're having a bad time this is a little weird like yeah and that isn't to say like avoid it at all costs yeah like no but just be aware yeah i guess the onus is really more on the people participating that if you're in a public event where anybody can come and there isn't a strict set of rules that if you're going to say something publicly in shout chat moderate it you know it's kind of up to those people making the descriptions to make them a little bit less bloody (laughs) you know and graphic so sometimes you got to moderate yourself (laughs) yes check yourself before Before, you before you wreck yourself (laughs) and everyone around (laughs) and your character (laughs) so i want to let so we got a little off topic but i want to let russ continue to talk about his experience but since it was mostly centered around these in-game events on Gilgamesh, seems like we got an overall sense of kind of how this community is doing. Uh, yeah, so I definitely think there are a lot of nice, chill events that happen on a regular basis. And I was definitely expecting something a little more large-scale, like was originally described for happening on other servers. And yeah, I just remember seeing a lot of cool things on Diablos or Lich or Famfrit and just thinking like, oh man, it'd really be cool to do something like that. Like this bar night is cool, but like I'd like to do something a little bit more elaborate. Hmm. Seems like it's up to us to fill in some of this need. Perhaps. And I think going forward, I will most likely make an alt or two on these other servers so that if an event comes up, I can actually check it out sometime in the future. As a recommendation to you, I would say level up a character enough where you can get to all three city-states, at least the initial city-states, because that's where a lot of the events tend to happen is the housing areas in those regions. Yes, So, definitely. yeah, go ahead and that might be a good thing to start working on. That's good. Uh, and the nice thing is, this is a bit of a side note, I've spent some time talking about role-playing with a few friends of mine, which has given me a couple more character concepts, so I could very easily now create an alt who's just, you know, their own character with a different backstory and check out these events and sort of grow them out from there. So that's really neat. Yeah, one thing that actually has been brought up a couple times in our Discord is that if someone makes a clone of the same character on a different server, on a different server they have different experiences with different people, which may actually end up changing their personality. It's almost like you create an alternate universe for the character if you put them on a different server, if they have enough 
interaction that the course of their life really changes a lot. But I, <laughs> I'm really amused to hear you say that you're now thinking of making all these alts in different servers because I'm like, yes, roleplay and altaholism go hand in hand. It's true. Also, I, I do agree. I think the data center is, in fact, just one big multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking that because Remix brought this up, that when you have the different characters on different servers, you interact with different people, especially with original characters. It can get hard keeping track of the storylines that happen in between servers. And then because the personality changes, you really have to start writing differently for each of these different clones. And that can be hard to keep <laughs> track of. I think with NPCs, it's a little bit easier because you have that template to work off of. But with original characters, especially just making clones can be tough. I'm sure it can be done. You know, I'm sure other people have done it before and they've put different characters on different servers, different data centers, and it's worked out just fine. Yeah. It sounds like you might have to take some very copious notes uh, for each iteration. Yeah. Of the yeah. That would be my guess. And consult them every time. Maybe I should, I should go and look into that. Just make a clone of Scoot somewhere else, which I said I would never do, and start role-playing with him and see how he turns out. So I will say... Uh, as a takeaway, that one of the things I learned about myself in the context of role-playing is that depending on the event, role-playing kind of feels a lot like socializing at a friend's party, uh, and that I am just as shy around strangers as I am in real life, even though, you know, they might be avatars in a digital world. So that was a little tricky to warm up to, but I found that just like in real life, if someone approaches me with a conversation thread, it's very easy to take whatever they say and just sort of go with it and develop into, you know, a bit more of a of an in-depth story. And all that voice work and improv stuff that I've been doing recently has really helped with that. And yeah, once you ease in and get yeah, and once you ease in and get comfortable weaving a story together with other people is a lot of fun. So yeah, I very much enjoyed the initial experience and I'm uh looking forward to trying it out again in the future. Yeah, that's an experience I've definitely had. And one of the reasons why I decided that my character Natsuki is going to be a very extroverted social butterfly because that's not me in real life. So I might as well try out doing something completely different in the in the virtual world, right? And it's been really challenging at times. I found that's the same thing with me. The reason why I have Scoot so extroverted is because when you have a lot of people around, especially with me, I tend to let people go ahead and talk and say what they want to say. And if I need to chip in, I will every so often. Uh, but Scoot, on the other hand, is just like very eager to come up to you, very eager to get to know you and and to try and make them happy. And so it's a challenge for me as well, just being a fairly shy person outside of the game. So I think having the character that's a lot more extroverted does help with that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, whoever you try to be, in-game can sort of develop you out of game as well. So it's a good experience. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Now, other than what you learned about yourself, did you perhaps learn more about Risrail? Maybe come up with new details, new backstories or traits? Yes. So when I was going to events for the first time, I insisted in my head that I should dress up, which I think now is going to be Risrail's thing of... You know, she likes to she likes to dress up for the occasion. 
for an occasion, if such an occasion comes up. Which was convenient because I recently got uh, Red Mage to 60 and equipped her with a, the Shire set, which turns out to be a really, really amazing jacket with a top hat and a monocle. Mm. And I'm like, this is a little eccentric, but it'll do. So I totally wore that to a beach party, which made no sense at all, but it was <laughs> hilarious. So yeah, uh, I think that's <laughs> definitely going to be a thing in the future where, you know, every so often she'll see an event and she'll be like, that looks awesome. I'm going to dress up for that. She'll come in <laughs> with a suit and be like, hey there. And then everyone will just be like, why are you wearing that? That is so over the top. <laughs> even if it's out of place. Yep, yeah, even if it's like a, a warm summer day by the beach. So uh, I also found that uh, she's a big fan of a drink called a Ruby Ale, which is sort of a uh, sweet beer, which was crafted by the wonderful bartender over at the bar night. Uh, so that's a drink that she'll be ordering in the mm, future. Like a strawberry lambic? Yeah, something like that. It's got that like little hint of berries and stuff like that, as it was described. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Now hearing about your experiences, even though you're having a lot of fun with RP and you want to continue doing it, it doesn't seem like it's really changed like your entire game experience forever. It's something that you're doing in addition to all the other stuff. You know, you haven't abandoned content or anything. And in some ways, that actually makes me glad. Because, yeah, for sure, there are a lot of people for whom RP is the center of their game experience. But for most people, it's just another activity they do amongst many others alongside all the other content they're crafting they're gathering they're raiding they're triple triad i'm the only one who plays triple triad i know someday <laughs> i will play triple triad if i can ever get myself to collect the cards <laughs> it really does send a nice message to the listeners that hey not only do you not have to be afraid to try roleplay even if you're on gilgamesh where we're supposed to be Which is the, the most hardcore server, salty assholes the ever server I mean, we are. It's true. Like, don't no get lies. us wrong. Gilgamesh is the saltiest server. <laughs> Not only can you do it on Gilgamesh, but you can do it as a casual. You can add it to your game experience. And that's another reason why nobody should ever be afraid to try roleplay. It's really true. I really appreciated that I could jump in at a more casual level. It was certainly less intimidating than... I guess, some of the other stories that I have heard, and just the level at which I was originally thinking about the backstory, I was expecting that I needed to have something really big prepared. So it was really nice to just be able to jump in, maybe for like an hour of my day at most, just to like unwind a bit. Uh, but it was great. I I really just enjoyed being able to go in casually and still having time to do anything else I was doing in-game. And it really hasn't detracted from any of the goals that I've set out for myself in the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you join a community, you only have to go to the events that you want to go to and that you have the time and energy for. If you join a roleplay link show where people are talking in character and you're in the middle of a dungeon or it's raid night, you just don't reply. It's not like you ever really have this obligation. Yeah, you might even get RP directed at you. People coming up to you, sending you tells in character. Maybe they want to start a conversation in character. But you can always just say, hey, I don't have time tonight. I'm too tired. I'm not up for socializing. Overall, it's a lot more casual than maybe people have come to think. It's true. So it's actually nice to see 
Yeah, I actually appreciated being on the out-of-character link shell for Gilgamesh RP, because then, in addition to whatever events you're going to, you can see opportunities to help people out. So that might be something I do in the future, is to help people with their uh, non-role-playing needs Yeah, on right. The server. And it's like, not only that, you get to know the people behind the characters, and not only get experience with such and such a character, but you, you get to know the person behind that character in a way, and what they like to do outside of role-playing, because that's not all that everybody does. Some people, sure, they do 24-7 role-play, but not everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, the friend groups that I have on Gilgamesh are my free company and the RP community. Yeah. And sometimes we role-play together, and sometimes we do other stuff together. So I would say that we're very glad to have you, Russ, and I am looking forward to seeing you around at different events, and I like the suggestion that you gave that maybe what this server in particular needs is more of the big produced events to get people to do something specific. And maybe what Lich needs is like the weekly bar night, since every server is kind of different. And especially with the small servers where there's not as much diversity of events, there's always opportunities for enterprising souls like our listeners to start something up. Indeed. And thank you again, Russ, for coming on and being our experiment. I would say that this is quite successful and that we definitely like to get more folks on to do character creation with us. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Do some more character development and see see where their roleplay adventures take them. Yeah, I would love to see I would love to see where other people take uh, their characters and decide to uh go with them. Indeed. Now, Every week, because we love the game so very much, we give an account of something that has happened between the last episode and this episode can be in-game, out-of-game, in-character, out-of-character, just as long as it has to do with Final Fantasy XIV. So, I went first last week. Who would like to go this week? Well, the big thing, of course, that happened between this episode and the last one was patch 4.1. And, well, we're not going to talk about the story for several reasons. One, because we don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't gotten around to it yet. By the way, shame on you. Go do your MSQ right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. You should do your MSQ. I'm on it. I say that half-heartedly, but you should do your MSQ. By the time this podcast goes up, I will have done it. So that's probably okay. And the other reason we're not going to talk about it is because... Ugh, Ugh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, that'll that'll be There's part of hint. my There's story as to why I don't want to talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Yes. But I will say that Emmy and I learned a bit of a hard lesson, you could say, about our choice to roleplay NPC characters. Indeed. Now, with original characters, you have control not only of their personality, but of their story, their plot, the events that happened to them and how they react and develop over time. And it didn't hit me until this patch that if you play an NPC and the NPC in game in canon does something that you would not have had them do that you are so angry and frustrated with that you just want to yell at your <laughs> you want to yell at them on screen, uh, you have to deal with that. That is the choice that you have made and you will deal with it. Because you've chosen to portray the character as they are in canon, and canon is not up to you. Now with me, with Merlbub, it hasn't yet been a problem yet. Because she somewhat frustratingly hasn't done much since patch 2.2, grrr. <laughs> Both her and Kane need to yeah, do Yeah, but 
with Team Olga, oh, with Nanamo. I will go into that. <laughs> well, she makes some choices that neither of us are too happy with. In the sense that we understand where she came from, why she did it, but ugh, it's still a mistake. It's still... Ugh. So this is not to say, of course, that the main scenario ended badly. But in my case, and I suppose this will lead up into my story, in my case, the events of Patch 4.1 and my analysis of my character in 4.1 led me to not wanting to touch her at all. And I could not touch either of my muses, quite honestly, because I was too focused on just being angry at my character. <laughs> yeah. Man. For her motivations. And so this unfortunately has kind of led to an overall burnout because not only do I not want to touch my character while I'm I'm trying to cope with this and I am adjusting to the fact that it's there. I am realizing this and I am becoming more comfortable with justifying her motivations even if I myself don't agree. But because I'm not really actively role-playing on Nanamo and because I'm not really actively role-playing on Scoot and I don't have a lot of content that I see as very pertinent to do, this has just led to a burnout in the game altogether. Now, there is something good that came out of that, and that is that even though I have not been able to roleplay with Scoot in-game, I did recently have the motivation to pick up Scoot's Tumblr blog and interact with some people who roleplay NPCs and OCs with him. So even though in the game I might not be very active, it did allow for me to pick up this medium that I had previously dropped for one of my characters. And I think that's really great because I get to develop him with a variety of people while maintaining the characters that are important in his life on Gilgamesh. So I think that's kind of cool. I think there was something good that did come out of this, even though as an NPC role player, there has come a time where I have not agreed with my character and it hit very, very, very close to me. And, you know, put me off from role-playing her in the game very actively. But going through that and learning more about my character in the process, even from my own interpretations being the basis of this, I think has helped. Even in my characterization of Nanamo, even if I'm not quite ready to go out and actively role-play her just yet. So that's my little story, even though I'm kind of off of the grid in-game. Out of game, it's not going badly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like one day I'm going to have this experience where I'm just going to do some dumb shit and I'll be like, girl, <laughs> But burnout in general is something that everybody deals with from time to time. It was actually talked about on a couple of other shows recently, Phoenix Down Radio, Aetherite Radio, and MMO is a long-term commitment. And like any long-term relationship, it's going to have its ups and downs. Me personally... While this was such a hot topic on these other shows, I was saying like, what burnout? There's no content lull for me. I'm planning 10 roleplay events and writing this and that. <laughs> but there is though, there's still, there's still the possibility for burnout in some respects. But I think roleplay does keep that drive to develop characters and be involved with the game, even if you aren't physically there. For sure, for sure. I think that's, yeah, that's a perk of roleplaying. Yeah. My strategy, personally, 
for fighting the burnout blues is just to never go that hardcore in the first place. <laughs> burnout generally comes after a period of going really hard at something, whether it's going to every roleplay event, maybe doing a lot of planning. That can get really tiring if you don't offload some of the responsibility eventually with any sort of grind. Maybe you want to level, maybe you want to raid, maybe you want to gear. Generally what happens is people go too hard for too long and then they have an extreme, an extreme reaction to that where they really need a lot of rest or maybe they just get turned off forever and they unsubscribe and they don't come back. And actually there was a Facebook comment that Emmy and I were involved in where someone was thanking her for posting such a cute picture of Scoot as she is wont to do. And this person said, thank you for bringing a little bit of cheerfulness. Sometimes this game is such a huge grind. And my reply was, hey, it never has to be a grind. Like, I haven't been feeling super well physically, so I didn't clear Rabinaster in the first week. I didn't get a drop. And that's okay, because... It absolutely is okay. Like, you don't ever have to stress or feel bad that you didn't get your drop or you didn't cap on your tomes. You know, it's really when people start to put stress on themselves, like the game is another job that they get burnt out more quickly. <laughs> so I really do espouse the virtues of a filthy casual. <laughs> the best way to uh, not burn out is to never be hardcore in the first place. Just be very chill. Being like, this is a video game. I log in and I do whatever I feel like doing because I'm here to have fun. I have regressed into being a filthy casual for the time being. <laughs> uh, there is no shame but in that. But that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I am honestly glad that, like, I'm not as focused on the game. Like, I've had time to play other games. Yeah. Which I would not have thought of doing in the past, like, couple of months ago. I would not have thought of, maybe I should explore other MMOs. Maybe I should try and level up on those and see what that experience is like. It's it's nice. It's liberating in some ways. Yeah. It's that freedom. And it gives us more to do for extra life. But before we get to that, Russ also has a story about that hot new alliance raid, Rabinaster. It's funny that you mentioned it about <laughs> not needing to get that drop, because let me tell you, I did attempt to get that drop, and oh boy, was it a trip. But that aside, yeah, I jumped very heavily into Rabinaster this week, uh, and I really love that raid. From a lore perspective, I'm a huge fan of Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh my god, me too. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, oh my god, <laughs> I've oh my never god. played it. I was flailing, flailing all yeah. over the place. They, they do a very good job with a lot of callbacks. Some of them very obvious with the characters that you encounter um, all throughout the quest line, um, including one near the end, who I won't spoil because y'all should do it so that you can <laughs> feel the same emotional pain that everyone else did at mm. the time. Not that it ends badly or anything, but, um, well, it ends badly for him. But <laughs> there are also a lot of really cool, subtle throwbacks uh, to things that are not really, like, in the open air as much uh, with regard to the tactics lore. Like, for example, the third boss in the raid, I don't know if I can say this, but um, by the name of Rufalkal, if you haven't played it, I hope that's not too much of a spoiler, but the third boss seemed a bit out of place to me having played through a bit of 12 and tactics um, as just a boss who I didn't know where they came from. And I was like, well, this is a little weird. Did they shoehorn this boss in? Turns out I was incorrect because uh, a kind soul on the FF14 Reddit 
happened to point out where this character fits into the lore. And there's a very interesting article about the original Lukavi in Final Fantasy XII, uh, or sorry, Final Fantasy Tactics, which if you're curious, go check it out. You might uh, find out a few things about both the enemies you've encountered in the current raid and perhaps a few guys you might encounter later on in the raid. And they did some very, very good throwbacks, which I was not expecting, and I really, really enjoyed it. Also, it's worth knowing that I really appreciated seeing the monster designs because um, the person that they had doing the monster design for this raid, he he was part of the Garo collaboration earlier, I think, before Stormblood came out. And that's actually a show that I watched, which I thought was really, really cool. Yes, I, I watched the entire first season of Garo. But yes, I really enjoyed seeing the monster design in this game, and there were a lot of amazing throwbacks, both to Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy XII, um, and I also appreciated the creative approach that the uh, the Garo creator took with some of the bosses, because like that's a show that is near and dear to my heart, so it's interesting to see how his work sort of invades the Final Fantasy universe. So, highly recommend checking it out, and do check out the Final Fantasy wiki. If you're curious, you might learn a couple things. Yeah, yeah. One of the coolest things to come out of patch 4.1 for me was not getting a house in Shirogane, but getting an apartment on Balmung, of all places, in the Goblet. I've been checking the Goblet apartments every couple weeks. Of course, they're all chalk fill, just like every other housing unit on Balmung. However, when I got up that morning, I figured, let me check, because if there's ever going to be a time when apartments magically become available it's probably going to be this morning and i did find an empty one when i went down towards seven <laughs> from what i assume had to be someone who abandoned their goblet apartment for one in shiragane in kobayoten so whoever that was thank you and i finally have a place of my own on the mega server <laughs> palmung and now I get to go and nitpick oh, at yeah. all the decorating Oh yeah, there's choices. been a lot of decorating <laughs> this week. That is true. With all the new items, I've been redecorating Scoot's house and Nanamo's house to some extent. Not as much of an extent, I think. But Scoot's house, definitely. Yeah. Even if you're on hiatus, decorating is now the true endgame. <laughs> so before we go for this episode, we do have one last announcement to make. And it's something that we're doing in conjunction with a lot of other content creators. To be honest, Maelstrom Radio, I believe, and The Crucible, and a lot of other content creators. And that is, we are taking part in Extra Life, which is a charity event, and we plan on streaming for 24 hours, though thankfully, thankfully, we are not streaming with both of us on yes. at the same time for all 24 hours. Yes, at least it's I hope that's not the case. consecutive and... <laughs> Split between the two of us. It's within the rules, right? <laughs> so we are on the official FF14 Content Creators Extra Life team. Woo! Woo. Bunch of cool people organized by Gamer Escape, including Maelstrom Radio, The Crucible, She Heals I Tank, and Phoenix Down Radio, and Stage Reborn. And anyone else who may be added subsequently, but currently that is our team. All organized by Gamer Escape. So... Very soon, once we actually decide on the schedule, we will be announcing said schedule. But so far, we're planning for early mid-November. Of course, as always, we want to do things a little differently. And even though I've seen kind of mixed results in streaming roleplay events, but, you know, the Crucible trial, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun event to watch, I think. 
<laughs> Even though I wasn't really watching it as much as taking part in it. But it I imagine it would have been fun For if sure. you were watching it. <laughs> so if there's anything you, our listeners, would like us to stream, please send in your ideas on some of our social media accounts. Now, before I go into our social media accounts, actually, I'm going to leave with one extra note on Extra Life. As part of the FF14 content creators team, and as part of Extra Life itself, we are raising money for the Children's Miracle Network hospitals and various hospitals that are in that network. So the hospital that we in particular are playing for is Cohen Children's Medical Center. So if you'd like to donate to us or any of the people on the content creators team, you can go to www.extra-life.org. We as MuseCast are hoping to raise $100, but our team collectively is hoping to raise 1000 So hopefully we can end up reaching those goals and exceeding them. So just go to the right-hand corner of the page where you can search for a player and look up MuseCast XIV and you can find us or find our team by looking up FFXIV content creators. And you can find more of our actual episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We also have a number of social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook. Just look up MuseCastXIV. You can find us on Twitter at MuseCastXIV. We are very creative with our naming. And you can find us on our website, which is hosted through Tumblr. So just go to MuseCastXIV.com. And if you would like to give to us directly in some way, you can of course donate to us either on Patreon or on PayPal. With Patreon, through a monthly donation, you can get access to episodes 24 hours before they actually come out, which is always pretty neat. Or you can get bonus content, which is all the things that we really wanted to talk about but didn't have the time to do so. So you can check that out. You can do a one-time donation on our PayPal, so to get to both of those, go to our website and go to the right-hand side of the page and click on the shiny blue buttons. Now, our Extra Life stream, as well as our regular weekly Sunday Storytime stream, is on our Twitch channel, which is also MuseCast XIV. <laughs> and while we're on it, we do have a Discord, which we mentioned earlier in this episode. Yeah, it's a great place to come in and suggest what we might stream for Extra Life, though we have a couple of ideas already involving... Lollafell. <laughs> yes! Lollafell? Lollafell. <laughs> so we hope to see some of you there on our Extra Life streams, in our Discord, and of course, for our next episode. Which I believe will be on more of the Scions. We are returning back to Charleian and doing a few more Scions. And following that, we have an interesting episode for you. But this one should be just as interesting, I think. Indeed. There are many, many people in the Signs of the Seventh Dawn. And and we had to split it up into <laughs> so many episodes. Yeah. I mean, they are some of those important characters to the story. So we want to give them all the attention they deserve. And even if we take out some of the minor ones, I mean, sheesh, there's so many. <laughs> so please do look forward to that. And until next time, happy adventuring, and we'll see you then. Yep. See you next time. Fairly well, friends. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Charlayne and the Scions, Part 3. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal. <laughs>